Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, what's up, friends? My name is Andre, and this is the Tennis and Bagels podcast. And this is a podcast about everything tennis, about professional, recreational, and just essentially everything in between. And yeah, uh, and today, today I would like to be talking about something that I've actually seen. I wanted to do this before, um, but I kind of didn't have much time. And there was just way too many things going on on tour, uh, actually not on tour, but outside of it in the tennis world, like all the drama that's been happening at Rio tour and crazy exhibition matches and, you know, pandemic and all of that crap over there. Um, I'm not going to talk about Kyrgios uh, versus Boris Becker, by the way, because I think it's boring and you can catch all of that on uh, Reddit and anything else. Like, I, I don't, I'm not adding anything to that. I just kind of like wanted to just leave this out of the way it's not something that i'll be touching on at all i think it's a it's annoying it's just kind of like gossip in a sense and just just let the the the, the stars deal with themselves like I, i don't care anymore um if there's something that i need to be talked that i think is important to talk about like like i did with the adria tour um and they come back up tennis and i will but this is essentially it's it's not it's not important at all like it doesn't doesn't add anything to to the content and that's it um so yeah that's out of the way um the thing that i wanted to do and i am um i've spent some hours uh doing it and uh preparing for this is that i kind of seen a few of the um interviews and things like that with players in which they go like which is the per- the perfect pair- player? How would you do? How would you build the perfect player based on their I don't know characteristics and whatnot? And uh, I thought when I saw this, it's like oh yeah, like there's the best forehand and the best backhand, and there's also like the best mental and and, and physical, and all of that is fine. That works. That works very well. But it's um I thought like well, but some players have and and yeah, some players have some different um what's it called um characteristics to the game they have just some a little bit different um styles and a little bit different things that they they do uh for example we i was in uh, in a few facebook groups that i were that i'm in uh people were discussing between which one is better like the del potro forehand or the nadal forehand or the team forehand and and we came up with like a different things kind of like the discussions i can land it on well Nadal has a lot of spin, so that gives him a lot of like control and whatnot, and he can do like crazy shots. But Del Potro though is like a totally different forehand; it's just completely flat, and 
just kind of like blast people off the court in a sense, which Canelo can sort of do, but like his, this is not really like where what his forehand isn't known for. So I just kind of like wanted to touch a bit on on that, just to kind of like um see a little bit of this difference. And what I ended up doing, just kind of like making a massive Excel sheet with a uh, well, not that massive, but honestly for. For it, it's worth of all of those stuff. Like it's it's pretty big. Uh, all of these uh, categories that they do, it's far more than just forehand, backhand, and uh, net game and whatever endurance, mental game. I've kind of like broken down all of these categories and I added a few. And I just kind of like if if you're talking about the perfect player, there is a few other characteristics to it. And I just kind of like added some little things that weren't there before, and just kind of like. You know, and I just kind of like went off to to uh, to the internet and uh, looking for players and just kind of like trying to watch some videos and see um, where I could place them all in. But um, here's, here's the thing. I can't just kind of like to, um, before I go into the sheet, is a few things that I need to add to it is one, um, I'll make a tons of assumptions. Because some of the um, stats you can just you can't find readily online. I went to a few. Um, I found a few databases for tennis, including the ATP one. Which, by the way, I'm doing this. This is the men's um, perfect player. I think I will do a women's perfect player as well. Um, maybe next week or the week after. Um, but um, they don't have all of the stats that you would like would like to see in a certain way. Like for example. Um, uh, winners to unforced ratios, uh, winners, winners to unforced, uh, errors ratio or forced errors caused by the players are like, I don't even know. Um, unreturned serves. I think that there's not a statistic about that. You can find tons of statistics. Don't get me wrong, but like those types of statistics are not really readily available. And some of them are just kind of like really just obscure. Like, for example, if you want to do like how many slice winners they make or like how effective is their slice of like, um, how many good volleys they get off of their slice shot backhand, or like how high the bound ba- the, the the ball bounces on the court off of his backhand slice, you know, like how many meters does he stay like on average uh, from the baseline? Which is and all of in all of that, like you can compare because players are human beings, we cannot forget that ever. It's that they um, they change throughout their careers and. They make different decisions and they make different adjustments, so they become different players. So you can kind of go ahead and just uh, make a few things sort of like, oh yeah, I want to pick this player from this year, in this year, particular year. And even you can even drill it down to like a single match. Like it's it's just how crazy it is. Like you can just kind of like go like, oh yeah, I want, I don't know, Lucas Rosal from the 2010, not 10. 11 or 12 match something like that um and against Nadal like he played a perfect match whatever so that's that's kind of like the player that you want to pick for for that type of stuff which you can do I try to make the approach a little bit more like career wise and another thing that I kind of did was just um because I had to make some assumptions and I'm pretty young (laughs) I'm only 27 so I didn't watch a whole lot of players that are considered all-time great um so what is the deal now is just kind of like um I I kind of had to find some some 
videos that I could watch from them, right? So immediately I just kind of had to discard a lot of people from before the open era because televised things were a little bit harder to find and tennis popularity was different, even though it was growing a lot and very fast and there was, you know, players from all over the world and whatnot. But it's it's still harder to find. It's even hard to find sometimes like good matches, good footage from the 80s. And uh, that's, the 80s is when we get like a whole lot of players like um, John McEnroe, even Lando, Bjorn Borg, and late Jimmy Connors. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of rough. So um, that's it. I, could, I needed to find some footage of this. And other thing that I did, um, it's kind of like I tried to overlook a bit of the generational gap in, in between the tennis things. Because if, if you honestly go and watch, for example, uh, you can still find footage from the 1930s. 30s? That's probably way too uh, early for TV. Like 1950s, say, for example. Maybe 1940s, something like that. You can still find some television footage from that or films. And you're going to find that, obviously, those guys had zero chance to play in today's um, tennis world. So, like, they're obviously not comparable. Uh, So you kind of had to overlook that and just kind of, like, see as per if everybody was in this age all together playing the exact same thing, kind of like how would that work out? And this is sort of like how, in terms of like the perceived um, characteristics of the players, this is kind of like what I am trying to figure right now. Um, Another thing that I kind of had to do is just kind of, uh, I picked up, um, just kind of like to bridge this gap a bit, is I have this uh, ATP number one heritage book that they did for the 40 years of the ATP rankings. And um, I used it to read a little bit about older players and just kind of like seeing um, where what are their characteristics? Like what would what were they like um, when they um, were playing and whatnot? So I had to kind of like figure out in that way a little bit of, about them, just like in, in written. And just I watched very little footage of them, but I, I did some for this episode. And... A very important thing that I'm going to do as well, because I didn't, as I mentioned, I didn't do all that much research. I did as much as I could, and I spent some time building my sheet as well, is that I'm not going to be looking through all of the statistics for all of the things. And as I mentioned, it's really hard to find very various statistics that you would be able to probably like pinpoint, oh yeah, this guy is better in this department than in that department. And it's so subjective. It gets to a point, it's kind of like, there's just no way to know. So it has to be a little bit first surface level. You kind of have to kind of like um, give it a blind eye to to some um, some things, you know. So yeah, for example, say for example, Ivo Karlovic has saved like eighty percent of all his break points, but he still doesn't manage to win a Grand Slam. So you know, um, that kind of like says a thing. It's, it's not necessarily about about the percentage, but also about what point has been won at what time. So this is a lot about like how tennis works as well is not necessarily just the percentage of doing something, but the timing of doing it as well is really important. Um, and another assumption that I have to make about this is that if we're talking about the perfect player, he, this player cannot have a specific style. I mean, if, if it's the perfect player, you have to assume that they are all rounded. They have to be good at the net. They have to be good at the baseline. They have to be good um, attacking. They have to be good defending. They have to be good at everything. It's, perfect um 
And now I'm just going to move on to my sheet and I'm just going to try to see if I can break down a little bit. So I, div I divided it and obviously the, um, what I could pinpoint a little bit was uh, physical and mental categories. So those are my major um, categories that I have. And then I have subcategories uh, in those. For the physical, I have the forehand, the backhand, serve, net play, fitness, and then general characteristics. For general characteristics, I'm going to develop and uh, uh, flesh this out a little bit later. But um, the mental, I have creative, like creativity, consistency, toughness, focus, accuracy, strategy, and desire. And I think those are probably the most subjective of all those because for the physical can kind of still like say, oh yeah, like you get all the statistics and whatnot. But for the mental, that's when the subjective gets in. That's when all of the physical abilities are affected by the mental. Like it, we are one body and mind is we we can just be two separate things. Um so it's it's kind of like impossible to isolate all of those variables. So and by the way, this is like me nerding very much about tennis though. Like it's kind of this is I'm pretty sure I'm like within the point five percent of people in the tennis of tennis fans in the world that would go this far into doing something like that. Like it's I am pretty sure that a lot of my friends would be like, yeah, I'm just going to look at it like for five seconds and that's it. Like I would rather not like go too much in depth into this. But obviously there is a point zero zero one percent that will find those statistics. And if they can't find it, they will watch the matches and then they're going to pick them. They're going to make those statistics themselves. So um, I'm not the ultimate tennis nerd, but I'm pretty high up there, I believe. <laughs> so, um, and the last thing that I'm going to say about the sheet uh, before I jump into all of this sub subcategories, which will make the forehand, the backhand, the serving, et cetera, et cetera, is that I kind of picked it a bit from, um, I developed out of the tennis elbow character sheet in which they have um forehand backhand volley service fitness and special uh the forehand they have power consistency precision the backhand also and service also for fitness they have speed and stamina um for special they have a lot of drop shot and counter um and the volley they have net presence forehand volley backhand volley and smash so I picked up most of these things that are there and I kind of like built my own type of thing. So without even further ado than what I've been doing, just kind of like explaining my thing, I'm just going to go in, into it. I'm going to go into the depths of what most tennis fans would probably not be looking into. And by the way, this is my ultimate list without looking at statistics, without being thorough about this. This is a lot about just kind of like me just thinking about players and the fact that I didn't watch a lot of players in the past makes me kind of biased towards my own generation. So I have a lot of active players here and a lot of players from the big three. And I don't know if I have much of the next gen, but like, um, yeah, all of the things around Federer era and pretty much that. I did try to like consider as hard as I can the older the older guys. Um, and they appear a few times a year, but um, most of them are going to be big three, by the way. So let's go into the physical part of it first. Um, as I said, there's forehand, backhand, serve, net play, fitness, and the general characteristics. 
Um, I'm going to go for the forehand first, and I'm going to go from there. The top spin, I picked a very no-brainer thing. Like if it's kind of like if you're not even thinking about it, this is the one pick they're gonna get is Rafa Nadal. I don't think there's gonna be much discussion on this. Maybe you want to pick like maybe Dominic Team or some other people that might have like some crazy uh, top spin. Maybe Jack Sock has some crazy spin on his forehand. But I think Nadal is a pretty pretty good option career wise. The top spin. This is the Nadal thing. Um, running forehand. This is a category that I have added. I feel like it's kind of like important because it's kind of like on the move, so that you have to be really good about it at first. Um, the guy that I've picked up for that was Pete Sampras. Pete Sampras, if you watch some of his videos, they actually have compilations of running forehands from Pete Sampras. Um, and he, he got some crazy shots after that. Like, he got some crazy angles, crazy passing shots. Agassi probably was really pissed for most of his career about that shot from Pete Sampras because, honestly, Pete Sampras is a serving volleyer. You would think, oh, he's not supposed to be able to be playing so well from the baseline, but he is. And he hits running forehands like nobody. And, well, at least he hit in the 90s. Um, but I had to pick again Rafa Nadal because when you consider all of the stuff that he does on the run, he just kind of like blasts that forehand down the line with that much spin, just like hits right on the corner on the passing shot, on smashes, on you name it, he can do this. So, like, I had to pick Nadal. Um, and I'm not even a Nadal fan, by the way. Uh, for most of my life, I kind of hated him <laughs> because he would beat Djokovic for a lot, a lot of things. And yeah, Djokovic is my favorite guy. But I thank God I grew out of hate and now I absolutely respect Nadal. And I absolutely understand that he is one of the greatest of all times. And I wouldn't be shy of picking him for the greatest of all times. I think there's a lot of discussion in there, which is going to another episode, by the way. For the defense forehand, defensive forehand, what I've come to kind of like build about this is um, it's kind of like getting yourself um, in a forehand position that is not immediately in attack, but it's kind of like kind of like keep yourself in the point in a way that you can kind of get back to it. Um, not necessarily just a running forehand, but just kind of like if you're in a top position or you got a uh, attacking shot from your opponent, you, you're going to go for that. Um, forehand, like high up, like a cross score, you name it. And I picked Djokovic for that. Um, by the way, this episode risks of being extremely long. I'm just looking at my time here, and uh, I'm I don't want to go like an hour and a half on this, but uh, I'll see how fast I can go. Um, so I've also chose sliced. Um, for sliced, I divided into three categories: sliced attacking, sliced defensive, and sliced tactical. Um, the difference between slice and attacking is just actually trying to like bother your opponent, like making sort of like an attacking shot, like when you this when you disguise a drop shot, but you actually like slice it onto the court. And for this category, I picked Nikirios because I think he uses it most often than everybody else. I thought of like Nishikori and Federer, but I think Kyrios is the one trickier that would be using this the most and in a way that's effective, honestly. For defensive slice. I didn't pick uh, Roger Federer. I picked um, Novak Djokovic. And remember, we are talking about the forehand here. Um, uh, I picked Djokovic because I think when he's in a tough position, he really can slice that ball back in and it stays really low and really short and really annoying. Um, that's on the defensive. Like, he's on the run. He's really had to figure it to dig that out. Um, for his last, his last tactical, I've picked Andy Murray. 
Um, it's kind of like hard to tell because you're not going to find that many YouTube videos about Slice on tour, especially on the forehand. But I think Andy Murray is like a great, very crafty player. So that's why I kind of felt like he would be good to like build on like uh, just like a Slice that would be like in a defense position, but like not so much. Um, and he just kind of like can keep it low and uh, annoying as well. Um Flat forehand, and that's kind of like where it gets to the difference between Federer, uh, not Federer, but like Nadal and Del Potro. And I did pick pick Del Potro. I considered Gonzalez, but I think Del Potro just kind of like hits it flat, super, super flat, out of crazy positions, and just kind of can blast pretty much anybody off of the court. Um, for I the other category, the next one is angle. So like the angle of the forehand. For this one, I I went for um, another generation guy. I picked Andre Agassi. Because I think that guy can hit winners from anywhere on the court. He can create the craziest angles. And um, what I mean by the angle is just kind of like getting the ball kind of like near the T line-ish, um, the service line uh, with the baseline and just creating those angles like out of the blue. So like, for example, there's a video that I watched of him and he hit a forehand essentially from the middle of the court into the service line, uh, the corner of the same service line out wide. Um, kind of like an inside-out forehand. And he made a winner out of the middle of the court, and the ball is like nowhere near his opponent. So that's what I mean by that. Agassi's craftiness and and, and playing and finding angles, I think it's unparalleled. Passing shot kind of ran into a little bit of a problem with the running forehand, but I think passing shot would have to go to Nadal too because that forehand of his can do anything. And he also can hit crazy shots off of his backhand and hit the target surprisingly enough sometimes it's kind of like how did he do it um not sometimes but like a lot of times um for the next part of it i went into the return so i didn't make the return its own category as i did with the serve because it's kind of like the similar technique from the um serve uh, from the from the actual forehand and backhand that you play a baseline Make it a little bit shorter, and that is also a different technique and whatnot. But you can stand behind, and you can take your time to hit those th- those shots. And on the second serve, it's pretty much the same. So um, for the returning of the first serve, returning on the first serve on the forehand side, that's when I picked Fernando Gonzalez from Chile. Because if you watch so many of these videos, he just kind of like smashes that ball back into the court, cross court normally. Off of this first serve, it just has such a short and powerful swing of the forehand. The first serve is just completely negated. <laughs> um, so yeah, return on the second serve. I had to go with Federer because if anybody scares you more than on the second serve, he he really goes for it on the second serve. He has time. If he gets on his forehand, he's going to punish you. So that's why I picked Federer because of that. He's very opportunistic. For the lob... Defensive and offensive lob. What I say by that is um, defensive lob is kind of like in a very tough position. It's kind of had to hit a shot and then you hit a lob because it's kind of like, it's very common. For attacking lob, it's kind of like guy hits a poor passing shot or you force them into the net and then you lob him. Um, So for those categories, for both lobs, I picked Andy Murray because I think nobody defends like him. Um, in terms of like defensive lob and just like staying points and making the guy play another shot. Not necessarily is the best other shot. That, uh, he's not necessarily going to put himself in an attacking position, but he, he can stay in the point for a very long time and he wins very often with that. Um, an attacking shot, also I think nobody hits a lob like Andy Murray. 
um, counter shot. And that's when I ran into a lot of problems because it's like I already have running forehand. But I picked Nadal again because I think Nadal just can just kind of like muscle up any attacking shot that you hit at him. If he has time, if he, not if he has time, but like if he has any inch of uh, of an open court, I think he's going to take it. Like you can see so many times they just kind of like Federer hitting into his forehand and just kind of like he just counter punching it back down the line is just pretty damn ridiculous. Um Next category is a drop shot. For the drop shot, I went with Andy Murray. I think Andy Murray just kind of like disguises his drop shots really well. And he plays off of the forehand more than other guys on tour, I think. So I do think he's got a great, great, um, especially inside out forehand drop shot. For the forehand down the line, I went again with Nadal. Because if you mix up all of the things that he can do and like he just can change direction so easily and he's so accurate with that shot and just kind of so deep as well. I don't think anybody really compares much with Nadal. He's really consistent with that too. And by the way, this is tough because I have consistency in my in my mental game. So that's when it comes to be a very difficult um point into um telling just kind of like separating, isolating those variables. Um the next one is the forehand cross court. And um, and this kind of like an attacking shot, by the way, you can just kind of like say everybody kind of has the same sort of forehand in a sense, like they kind of can stay in a rally for a long time, but it's not really pushing, actually making something happening. Del Potro, I think he's hits like a cross court forehand like nobody just watched the 2009 final against Roger Federer. It's, it's insane. Um, For early hit. So I separated early hit from half volley. Because I, I wanted to keep half volley at just kind of like something like going more close to the net and just kind of actually hitting the ball in a sense that you're kind of like nearing the net in that sense. So like early hit is kind of like more at the baseline actually doing a full swing on the ball. And for the forehand, I picked Roger Federer because I think Federer just kind of like stays on really right by the baseline, doesn't really want to lose his position and his forehand is really versatile for that. Um, for the approach shot, which is obviously everybody knows, there's like a short ball that drops near the service line or anything, and you kind of like it can take advantage on that and like play an attacking shot for a winner or for setting up for a volley. And I picked Federer as well. As I said, he's a very opportunistic player, and I think his is the um, his is the is the shot for that one. By the way, and. For the backhand, I had the same category, so I'm not going to go through all of them again. Um, for the, the One of the first statistics that I actually uh, um, searched for was the topspin. And I was going for, like I was saying, like, maybe Nadal has it, but I don't really seem to like see Nadal hitting that hard a topspin with his uh, backhand. So I searched a bit, and I found that apparently Yannick Sinner, or I think it's Yannick Sinner, the um, Italian, has... The highest RPM in the, um, in his uh, topspin for the backhand. So I I think I just had to give give it to him. It's like a very very straightforward um, statistic. So I just I just I just gave that to him um, for hitting a backhand out of position. I gave that to Novak Djokovic because of his uh, athleticism. He's like he can hit those shots in crazy um, splits. Uh, he just kind of like has his legs like in very very far apart from each other it's like yeah just doing the splits 
and is hitting the backhand out of nowhere. And that's why I picked him for that. Defensive, uh picked Djokovic again. I think Djokovic can get himself out of essentially any any attacking um any any defensive position off of his backhand is like a very solid shot. Um attacking slice, I went for Federer again. I don't know if I need to explain much about that. I think it's very straightforward. He has one of the best slices ever. For defensive slice, I didn't go for Federer. I actually went for Murray. Um, because I think Andy Murray can keep the ball really, really low off the back end and really short too. So I think his defensive slice is the better one than uh, Federer's. And his tactical slice, I think, is also better than Federer's as well. Because I think Federer's slice... Federer's slice can sometimes just float back on the court and not be great. And uh, one of the reasons why Nadal often takes advantage of that shot, I think. But is as a tactical shot, I think Andy Murray's got one of the greatest and the greatest slices of the tour. Um, for hitting the ball flat on the, the backhand, I picked Vavrinka because he can accelerate that shot like no one. For the angle. I picked Andre Agassi again because I do think he's incredibly um, versatile with his uh, with his backhand and he can hit from anywhere to anywhere on the court. Um, for a passing shot, I picked Bjorn Borg. I think I just watched a couple of videos and I thought it was cool. Um, return of the first serve on the backhand, I picked Novak Djokovic because I think he can do a nasty return off of that wing. For the second serve, I went for Andy Murray. Andy Murray is the guy that I picked for um, um, for the return off of the second serve because I think he hits a little bit flatter than Djokovic and he's more opportunistic. He has a little bit less backswing and he just attacks it. like It's kind of ridiculous sometimes. Uh, defensive lob, I picked... Oh, actually, for the lob attacking and lob defensive, I picked Murray for the exact same reasons that I said for the forehand. Um, for the counter shot on the backhand, I picked Roger Federer. And this one I went specifically with Roger Federer 2017 because I feel like Federer is one of the play- those players that evolved so much in his game style and his things that he's done in his game throughout the years that I really think Federer 2017 is one of the most, not necessarily unattackable for uh, backhands, but just kind of like, People just kind of like underestimated that backhand of his and he just went for it. He hit incredible counter shots off of that backhand, especially down the line. So it was great to see. Um, drop shot, Roger Federer again, just insane. Um, down the line, Vavrinka for essentially the same reasons why I picked him for flat. Um, Cross court backhand, I picked Murray again for the reasons that it's essentially the same ones for the, the volley, not the volley, but the return of the second serve. But also because he he really likes to go back he, he he really likes to go cross court with his backhand not so much down the line, and maybe that um, hinders his game a little bit because of that. But his cross court backhand is amazing. For the early hit off of the backhand, Andre Agassi, I really don't think anybody has ever hit a backhand so early as he did. And for the approach shot, I also pick Andre Agassi because I think Andre Agassi's backhand is one of the best of all time and. He kind of like just really can attack, take that early and put it in crazy spots so that he can uh, use his volley, which is not great, but it works. And with a setup shot like his, it's perfect. Um, 
And since I'm realizing right now that like I didn't necessarily calculate how much time it would take for me to go through all of this, I kind of thought you, I could have done this like in much less time. Silly me, right? Um, I am just going to kind of go blast through a little bit of this and just kind of leave my sheet with the names of it like in in the in a link um so that you can go and and check it out for yourself and I would encourage people to also like look at it and just kind of like use it as a form of discussion as well I think it would be really cool um if this list goes into hands of many many people so I'm just going to go through the characteristics that I picked for every single thing for physical I did speed of the first serve the toss of the first serve the slice actually not the toss of the first serve but just the toss um, which I picked Federer, by the way. Um, the toss, the slice serve, um, first serve out wide, uh, which is kind of like goes a little bit into the same as the slice. Um, but there's a difference between when you don't have to slice the ball or when you can just kind of like um, kick it. Um, I also did um, body first serve and serve down the tee. Um, Speed of the second serve, wide on the second serve, body on the second serve, on the tee on the second serve, and top spin, which I picked Edberg. Um, the the speed, the speed, the, the top spin, the kick that you get on the first serve. For net play, which I actually didn't pick anybody because it took me very long to just pick all of these guys. Um, I did forehand, just like regular forehand and backhand, drive forehand and backhand, uh, drop shot on the forehand and the backhand, the reaction. The smash um, at the net, like with, uh, and the smash at the back of the court, and um, backhand smash, over the shoulder smash, which is a Nadal shot through and through, and I think Jimmy Connors, and the half volley, which I would have picked Roger Federer. Um, I had fitness as well, and the physical abilities, and the fitness is resumed by speed, movement, front and back, uh, movement side to side. Um, how prone to injury they are, and I think Roger Federer would have taken that. Um, point recovery, which is like playing a, p- a point and recovering for the next one, being ready. Um, point stamina, just like lasting in a point. Um, match stamina, lasting in a match. Uh, net presence, I uh, put this wrong here. Is, uh, uh, what? Had an error. Uh, net presence is not supposed to be here. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be in the net one. Um, athleticism which I picked Monfils, and reaction. It's kind of like reacting to two crazy shots, like uh, reaction timing, which I did Dimitrov and Monfils. Uh Overall health and longevity. It's like, it's kind of like if you have, like, for example, Pete Sampras who has a, a disease, uh, you probably wouldn't pick, pick him. Um, and longevity is kind of like the career longevity, which you would see, like, for example, Federer or Connors or Ken Roswell. Uh, there's the general characteristics now. Uh, which for that, I had um, height, dominant hand, and weight. And the reason why I decided to go for those because um, I imagine, well, there are um, players that are tall and they serve really well, but they don't move very well because of that. And I decided this wasn't like an important, maybe there is like an average height, which is perfect for playing tennis and dominant hand as well. I think going lefty is has a really great advantage. And also the weight, I think it helps a lot. Maybe in uh, if you're too heavy or if you're too light, maybe you can lose power or lose the speed. And that was it for the physical characteristics. And for the mental, I'm just going to do exactly as I did here. I'm just going to kind of like speed through them and 
um maybe just like say who i picked and but i won't explain very much i just kind of like explained a little bit i think because i kind of wanted to um really just explain a little bit of the the characteristics of of it and why and kind of like my mentality of like why i would pick those players um and how also it's hard to separate the mental from the uh the physical so now we go to the mental part of the game and for those I had those characteristics, those categories rather, um, creativity, consistency, toughness, focus, accuracy, strategy, and desire. Um, for creativity, I had shot variety, the twinner, the twinner lob, and the trick shots. The twinner and twinner lob, I just kind of like made them separate because they happen so often in the game. I just kind of felt like, well, it's kind of um, it's kind of fair that it wouldn't just be like a trick shot anymore. Like a trick shot is something that is kind of like just very unusual that barely ever happens. They just kind of like to improvise on the spot. And shot variety is just kind of like being able to pull off most other shots in the game well. And for that one, I picked Roger Federer. For trick shots, I had Haze, Cuevas, and uh, Kyrgios. I couldn't really pick one of those in between those. But you kind of like get what I'm trying to say. Um, also, there is Benoit Pair uh, in the trick shots, which I forgot to put, but he's also insane on that one. For consistency, uh, consistency, I just had forehand, backhand, the serve, and the net. It's just kind of like how consistently um, good they are throughout. It's kind of like, oh, if you have like a forehand like Del Potro or like a return or like a cross-court backhand like Murray, but you don't ever use this very much. You just kind of like you're able to hit it, but just don't. I think it's like a mental thing, just consistently be good and do those shots very well. And for this, I had forehand, backhand, serve, and the net. Um, for those, I picked Nadal, Edberg, Karlovic, and Sampras. Um, although for the net, there's a plethora of um, um, net players and serving volleyers that you can choose from. So it's kind of like a, I, incredibly subjective. I didn't really do much research at all for that. Um, I had toughness. Um, toughness is divided by dealing with tough points, dealing with tough conditions, coming through in a bad day, and hitting hard on tough points. So it's kind of like really just kind of like not becoming just a pusher when things are tough and just kind of like really um, dominating your mind in the sense that you're still going to win that point on your own terms and or just like winning when the, the, the conditions like when it's too windy or it's dark or you have to come back on the other day coming through in a bad day was by um, if you're losing and um, it, say like for example you're um, just can't get a shot right, but still push through it. You can, you can still find a way to win. That's coming through in a bad day, and hitting hard and tough points was like when it's kind of like um like a pressure point, really, like a, a break point down or a match point down or a match point up, even um that you would still not just push the ball in, but actually come out hitting and accelerating on the ball. And for those I picked. Djokovic, Curtin, Federer, and Dal. Again, very subjective, very little research done. Um, and for the focus, what I divided this for is like just two little characteristics is ability to concentrate, uh, which is not too many terrible enforced errors or drops in the performance. And um, that's kind of like through throughout a match. So you play a consistent level of good throughout the, the entire match without too many drops and hiccups, um, but also without dropping, um, without just kind of like being in a, in a low level altogether. Um, 
for the consistency throughout the season, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. It's kind of like you play well the entire season and not just kind of like doing the grass court season or just the um, Australian season or Pacific uh, Asian season or indoor court season, stuff like that. So like playing well in essentially all of the surfaces. Uh, had accuracy as well. For accuracy, it's really just how, well, you can hit a really big forehand, but it doesn't really necessarily do much damage because it's not really in that specific spot that is going to hurt your opponent. Um, but it's actually kind of like has a margin of error, but it's also really kind of hitting the right spots on the court to give you an advantage with it. And I had forehand, backhand, serve, and net again. Um, for those, I picked Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, and Sampras again. I think Sampras is just a fabulous net player altogether. Um, so, yeah, and it's it's hard to compare because I didn't watch that many things. And that goes like my lack of experience in match watching throughout my entire life. I didn't watch that many players playing. So, yeah. Um, next up is strategy. For strategy, what I divided this in is just kind of like um, the ability. Well, it's not kind of like it's essentially the strategy is divided in the ability to, ta- to change the way they play. And the tennis IQ. So ability to change the way the play, just kind of like adapting to different surfaces and different players, different conditions, and just being able to be an all-around player in various situations and hitting different shots and doing this kind of like not necessarily going too much out of your comfort zone. Um, maybe a kind of player that I wouldn't have picked for that, for example, would be Federer, because I think Federer doesn't change very much the way that he plays regardless of where he plays um so yeah for tennis iq is kind of making good strategies and like making good decisions and sticking to the plan and also just kind of like um placing the shots in the right spots and not just kind of like um running with it a player that i feel like is kind of for a lot of his life had a very low tennis iq was um gregor dimitrov think he kind of failed a lot in that just kind of like couldn't really do much to play the game well to like tactically push his opponents um and for that one i picked even Lendl because i think Lendl is probably one of the smartest guys that i've ever walked onto a tennis court it's incredible it's almost like he thinks perfectly and detailedly and with within with detail every single shot that he's going to play um so yeah, even though I didn't really watch much of him, by the way, just kind of like picking off of the things that I hear and off of the matches, all the, the clips that I saw that I saw him on YouTube. And for a thing, for me, I think the most important, well, not the most important, but one of the most important parts of, of it and uh, this entire thing is the desire. And the desire is kind of like this characteristic that is the most subjective, like for me, because that not only affects the player performance and who becomes number one and whatnot, but it also affects pretty much every single part of this entire um, chart. Um, the desire is divided in champion desire to win or killing attitude. Um, so kind of essentially, I'm going to walk on this court and this is this is where I win and you lose type of thing. Like, I, it doesn't matter what you do, I will beat you. Um there is a uh, long-term mental strength, uh, which is um, for throughout your career, you you really wanted that and you keep wanting that and you keep going out there season in and out, um, being kind of like the same guy and finding 
the ways to come through matches regardless um because it, it just takes like a massive mental strain to like focus for so long and doing kind of like the same thing you really have to find that and that one just kind of like it's very tied to the next um and last category of this list which is motivation but motivation i find is kind of like you can have the mental strength if you put your mind into it but the motivation is just kind of like you have this drive to go out there and still be number one and still win majors and still, you know, be in the top five or be the champion or challenge the, the best guys in the world still after so long in your life. Um, and I think it really has to be a long-term thing. For example, um, although I did put Villander, Matt Villander in there, even though he kind of like lost a little bit of his mental uh, motivation to to win after he became number one, apparently, as per what I've read in the book. Uh, the other guy that I put in there was Connors, because I feel like Connors was a guy that he was borderline psychotic. It's, I don't want to say like anything bad, but it's like it's almost scary, like how much he wanted to just become the better player of all time, and just kind of like it was he was almost like an angry player in that sense. Like I'm just gonna beat you, I'm gonna eat you, <laughs> like when I'm in the court, like you're not going to beat me, type of thing. Um, so I picked him for that reason. Um, and for long-term mental strength, I picked Nadal. For champion desire to win, I picked Connors and Lendl. Um, so yeah, this is my entire category sheet for the ultimate player category. Um, and the point of that is twofold in the sense is obviously one, to have fun, just kind of like seeing lots of players and just discussing but i think there's also something that as as i was doing it i feel like there's a little bit of a something that is that goes a little bit deeper into that which is um it's kind of like breaking down into categories of things that maybe we can do to become better and just also um what are the things that i uh that are kind of like in a sense contradict each other or that i cannot have but i can work hard to like do something to compensate for it. And um, I guess it's really good too for um, just kind of like recreational players like us. Just kind of like look at this. Like I look at this and I'm like, oh, well, there's a lot of things that I can do better. There's a lot of things that I can get better at um, and very specific things to focus on. So um, yeah, this is this is my ultimate player category sheet. Um, I don't even know how many players I've put into it. I'm... Let me let me count for a second. So I had 21 players listed in, in this thing. So and quite literally you could have a player for every single one of these categories, and I have no idea how many there are. But probably some I think I could easily have like a hundred categories in here um for things. So this is really massive tennis nerdy here. Um there's I don't think it can well, you can even, and I even left space so that like I can find even more categories, subcategories, and but I also kind of like maybe would advise against trying to find little by little, little because otherwise you just get into some a few details. Like it's also important to try to figure out um, where is a category that you can just kind of like find a parallel with others, just kind of like a category that covers another. Um, just to kind of like not just go too much into detail and just kind of like becomes a kind of a little ridiculous. For example, I don't necessarily care much about the spin of the the drop shot to the side or not. If the drop shot is effective, it kind of doesn't matter. It's just kind of like a style point for that, for example. Um, so yeah, 
this is this is my crazy uh ultimate player category sheet i did not think it was going to be a long podcast but ended up being just about the same as every other one that i've done so far or most of them um so um that's it. This is my ultimate player category. I really hope that you download it and then you have fun with it. And uh, yeah, uh, I'll see you next time. I will probably try to do the WTA uh, ultimate player. And uh, I might use that one for a greatest of all time category as well. Well, not category, but um, I have this word imprinted in my mind right now. Um, but um, the, the GOAT debate that I kind of like want to do but I also want to like maybe not go too much into charty things because as I've realized by doing this, it takes a long time to go through it. But I do think it's fun to talk about it. And it would be far more fun, I guess, if I had somebody to talk to within this podcast. But you can have somebody to talk with uh, about this. And if this viralizes on Twitter or something like that, people are going to be talking about it a lot. So, yeah, um, I hope this was interesting. Um I know that it was probably a lot of information. This is very information heavy uh, as opposed to a bunch of others that I've done, which is more opinion, although there's a lot of opinion as well. But anyway, you get the point. Um, um, so yeah, that's it. Um, thanks for listening up to here. And if you disagree with me in anything, please, um, I don't know, shoot me a message on uh, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Uh, Instagram at Tennis and Bagels, um, Facebook slash Tennis and Bagels. On Twitter, I'm and Rollenberg, A-N-D, Rollenberg, R-O-L-E-M-B-E-R-G. Um, this is my personal Twitter, but I use it for tennis purposes all the time. Um, so yeah, and give me a follow if you want to, and um, I'll see you in the next podcast. Bye-bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>